0: You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good morning. Great to see you guys today. In case you're new here, my name's Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been in this series uh, learning how to get through what you're going through. And we learned uh, week one that there's this Chinese concept that helps us get through what we're going through. And it's called chiku. Will you say that word chiku with me or out loud when I point to it? You ready? Here we go. Very good. And what it means is eating bitter. And so you can be more successful in life and be transformed and grow more when you can experience chiku. That is, be willing to eat bitter and endure through the hard times of life. Have you ever been done wrong? Just raise your hands real quick. if someone done you wrong? You ever want to like sing a somebody done me wrong song, you know? Uh, We call that country music. And you guys know that um, I love to make fun of country music. And I wanted to show you just a few of my favorite Somebody Done Me Wrong song titles, okay? Uh, look with me on screen to look at the first one. And it is My Wife Ran Off With My Best Friend, and I Sure Do Miss Him. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? And then there's I Still Miss You, Baby, But My Aim's Getting Better. It's a good one. Uh, she Got the Ring, and I Got the Finger. I like that one. It's a good one. I just said that in church, didn't I? Here's the next one. How can I miss you if you won't go away? I just gave someone a breakup line right after church. You can do it. Here's my favorite one, though. If I can't be number one in your life, then number two on you. (laughs) Uh, Practical stuff you can live by right here at City Church downtown. But let's look to the Bible for just a minute because we need to see how we should perceive it when someone's done us wrong, and so since we've been studying through the letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, we're going to look there and be studying in uh, chapter one of Second Thessalonians. So look at verse five, it says, "And God will use this persecution, or when someone did your wrong, to show His justice and to make you worthy of His kingdom for which you are suffering." So, he's talking about persecution here where these people have been done wrong, and uh, we're not going through persecution right now, are we? I mean, you know, you can be a Christian, you can go to church, you can read your Bible and all that stuff here in America, and the worst things I ever go through is, like, I've lost a few friends when I was in high school, you know, because I didn't do drugs with them anymore, and I lost some other friends that, you know, at a job one time, you know, they wouldn't invite me to lunch anymore because I wouldn't go to strip clubs with them at lunchtime, but um, that's the worst it gets for us for most of the time, but unfortunately, we have brethren other sisters around the world that are enduring some real persecution, uh, like Amina from northern Nigeria. A radical Islamist came to her village, and they beat her up when she's pregnant. She lost her baby because of that beating. The next morning, they came back and burned her house down. And some of you remember when ISIS beheaded 21 Coptic Orthodox Christians for being people of the cross. And I think that's an important reminder for you and I to appreciate what we have here and be mindful of the suffering and real persecution that brothers and sisters all over the world are going through. Uh, but we have to think about how we can apply the text to our lives. And even though we're not going through persecution, we do have people that do us wrong. And as you're thinking about how people have done you wrong, some of you know you've been cheated out of resources, someone did you wrong by cheating you out of money. Somebody did you wrong by cheating you out of your possessions. Possessions. Someone did you wrong by cheating on you. Some of you have a spouse that cheated on you, had a relationship outside the marriage, and made you feel like, man, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't he love me, or why doesn't she love me? Somebody had a friend that you thought they were your friend, but they were really trash-talking you behind your back. See, we've all been done wrong in some way. And here's what I want you to remember is that enduring persecution ends in transformation. Enduring persecution, or when someone does your wrong, it, it, it transforms us when we deal with it appropriately. And that's the key, is when we endure it in the ways of love, the ways that are according to God's word, uh, we get transformed into something different. And when you get transformed, you, the transformation spreads to other people. So it's like, you can be done wrong. You deal with it rightly. You get changed and other people around you get changed because they see you and the love that's in you and they want what you have, see? It's attractive. So I want you to contrast that with who I'm gonna call Whataburger guy. Some of you saw him online or probably uh, on the internet somewhere. And he was uh, at a Whataburger. He stole a guy's political hat. Then he took the guy's Coke and threw the Coke in his face. That wasn't very winsome, was it? And I know a lot of people that would agree with uh, Whataburger guy on his politics, but wouldn't agree with the way that he handled it, right? And if you compare him to Martin Luther King, who was done wrong, has anybody, uh, you know, been done wrong like that? It's like he had been done wrong, as many African-Americans in our country have been. But the way he dealt with it was the ways of Jesus. He stood up to the oppression, but he did it in such a way that it was loving and appropriate, and not only was he transformed to something different, a man that really is a cultural icon in America because what he did, but he transformed many other people's lives as well because of the way he handled being done wrong. Enduring persecution ends in transformation. But as we study the text today in 2 Thessalonians 1, I want to show you four different ways that uh, enduring persecution leads to transformation. And the first one is this. Enduring persecution makes your love grow. It makes your love grow. Look at the text in uh, 2 Thess- Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your what? Your love for one another is growing. There's something about going through hard times together that helps our love be forged. It's like kids in the African bush in some of those villages and communities. The older men in the village will actually kidnap the boys who are 10 to 12 years old, and they'll take those boys out into the bush, and they'll rough them up a little bit, And they leave them out there to fend for themselves so that they have to learn how to hunt and fish and build shelters, feed themselves and take care of each other. And they have to rely on each other. And after a couple of weeks of being out there, the men will go out and check on them. And these boys are all of a sudden really open to the men's input on how to catch food and forage and build shelters and the like. And the men will train them and they leave them there for many months And then eventually they'll go and get those boys and they'll bring them back to the village. But when they come back to the village, they're no longer boys. They've been transformed into men and they are leaning on each other, relying upon each other because they endured a common ordeal. They come back into the village as men and now they can contribute to the society and the culture there. They've been transformed by suffering, and that's why we encourage each other to be engaged in Christian community and be involved in tribes. Is because when you suffer together, it helps your love grow, doesn't it? It expands your heart to love each other and help each other through. But look at number two, and during persecution acknowledges retribution. It acknowledges retribution. Look at verse 9, it says, In his justice. He will pay back those who persecute you and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. And so what happens is, several things that you see in that text. And one is that um, that judgment is in his hands. When, when we're being done wrong, we put people in God's hands. We release them. We release them through forgiveness is the Bible's teaching, right? Now, here's the thing, and I have to give this little disclaimer when it comes to forgiveness and releasing people who are doing us wrong, is that we have to put boundaries in place, don't we, before we can release and forgive? So, for example, some uh, among us, have been abused. And you need to report that. And you need to put the boundaries in place. And that's why I'm putting up the abuse hotline phone number that you can call if you forget the number um, from church today, just Google abuse hotline. But if someone's abusing you, sure, you release them into God's hand, but you need to do something about now. Don't stay in that situation. You need to keep them from abusing others and you need to put a stop to it. And it's the most loving thing that you can do to the abuser is to make sure that their dysfunctional behavior stops and they change. But once we put the appropriate boundaries in place, that's when we can love and forgive and we can extend grace to people. It's like that guy, Pastor Roy, or rather Frank Pomeroy, And he was the pastor at, uh, still is the pastor of uh, Sutherland Springs Baptist Church, you know, where that horrible shooting happened. And he forgave the shooter, even though that shooter took out half his congregation and his own 14-year-old daughter. I also think about the Emanuel Nine and in particular Nadine Collier who lost her 70-year-old mother and she went to the hearing from uh, the guy that did the shooting. His name is Dylan Roof and when she was at that hearing, she stood up and spoke to him and she looked him in the eye and she said, you took something very precious from me. She said, I'll never hold her again. I'll never talk to her again, but I forgive you God have mercy on your soul. How is it that a pastor who loses half his congregation, his 14-year-old daughter, and a woman who's lost her mother in a senseless shooting can forgive? And I'll tell you why. Because they've placed the offenders in the hands of God. And they know that it will be payday someday and that God will bring justice someday on the earth, even if. It slips the notice of the authorities in different cases. God will bring justice on the earth. And look, here's one of the things you gotta understand is that when Jesus returns again, to bring justice to the earth, he's not gonna be like a lot of the pictures that we see of Jesus. You know, the pictures I'm talking about where Jesus looks like an 80s metal band singer, you know, wearing a bathrobe, you know, and he looks all serene and uh, he looks like, you know, that they put an Instagram filter on him, you know, to soften him and uh, like he's just been smoking a joint and chilling in the Holy Land and giving everybody bread and stuff like that. Okay, that is not the Jesus that's gonna come uh, according to 2 Thessalonians. But he will come, the Bible says, with flames of fire and powerful angels. And when he comes on that day, he will bring eternal destruction on people who have not received the gospel. It's like eternal destruction. So does God like really send people to hell? I don't think so. I think people choose to go there That's what I think happens. You know, people kind of want to block God out of their reality. But when you choose to block God out of your reality, you're basically turning off your own life support systems. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. It says, he existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. Even people who don't believe in God, don't like God, don't acknowledge God he's created a scenario. He's holding all the creation together so that you can breathe, so that um, you get the right amount of sunshine, so that you can have water. He keeps our ecosystem together for us. He's holding all things together. And that's true after death as well. And so people who decide that they don't want God as a part of their reality are basically shutting out the very one who can bring life to them in eternity. C.S. Lewis gets it right when he says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there would be no hell. And look, spiritual investigators who are considering whether or not you're going to believe in God, I want to encourage you for being here today. I respect that and appreciate that, that you would come here and that you would look up, look into it and you would come to these services to try and figure out if God is for real, that you would do maybe a little extra reading, a little extra research and exploring this because there's no greater issue to be settled in this life. Look, a lot of people just cruise through life and just blow it off and think, I'll handle it later. But you're wise for saying, where will I spend my eternity? It's a big deal. A big, hairy, audacious deal. And look, Jesus doesn't want anybody to go to an eternity without God. He gave everything he could to keep people from spending a Christless, godless eternity. But he won't force anyone into a relationship. That's not the way he rolls. He's gentle and humble in heart. And he offers for free a relationship with God. But look at number three. Enduring persecution reveals glory and honor. We find that in verse 10. Look at it with me on screen. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. Now look at this last part. And you will be honored along with him. So what we see in that text is a couple of things. One is glory. His glory. Now, a lot of people would say, people today don't understand Bible words, you know, like glory. I mean, what's that mean? God's glory. Well, I think we do understand glory. Let me illustrate. How many of you have ever been to like a concert, like a really big rock concert in a good venue? Okay. This is where you raise your hand if you ever been there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You put your hands. Okay. When you went and you saw the band introduced, and they came out, and the lights were shining, the sound was up, they play the first note, and they're rocking out, and everybody's taking pictures with their phones and streaming it uh, live and all of that. It's glory for accomplished musicians. That's what that is. People in the room are basking in the glory of great music. I remember when you were going to opening night of the playoffs back when the Spurs used to go, you know, to the playoffs and all that. And um, I'm in a little bit of pain right now. I'm trying to get through what I'm going through right now, bro. But look, it was night one. And the playoff games are different, aren't they? Some of you know, you go in there and like there is an energy in the room and they're introducing the team and the lights come on and the players come out. It's glory. People experiencing glory. Greatness. We love watching the Super Bowl. That's why people pay millions of dollars for ads and the pageantry, the um, the colors, the uh, jets flying overhead at the national anthem. Uh, it's glory, isn't it? The World Cups going on. People are filling stadiums and chanting for their teams. It's glory. The World Series. And the Cubs finally got over the hump and won the World Series. Over 2 million people converge on Chicago to give glory that this team finally won a World Series. That's glory. But I want to tell you, every event that I just mentioned is less than Pee Wee League compared to when Jesus comes again you will think the Super Bowl is a Pop Warner game. It's small. And you know, here's the thing that blows me away is the verse we just read says that when he comes in all his glory, can you imagine something big as World Cup or the Super Bowl or whatever? He comes in all his glory and everybody will be focused on him. He will honor not just himself, but you when you've endured appropriately what you're getting through. He will honor you for enduring the right way when someone has done you wrong. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't it feel good to be recognized and honored by someone great, someone who's a big deal? I mean, how many of us wouldn't love to be honored by someone that is a really, really big deal? And I was thinking about this when I heard uh, pastor and author Andy Stanley talking about when he was asked to preach at President Obama's second inauguration. And so Andy was uh, standing up there, it was his time in the service, and he was preaching to Michelle and Barack Obama at inauguration, and he was giving this really great talk, this really great sermon to the president and his wife, and he thought to himself, man, I did a really good job. Well, after the sermon was over, they just took off. I mean, they just were whisked away to go to the next event because they had a full lineup that particular day. Um, but, and, and Andy had people come up to him and say, hey, uh, Andy, that was a really great sermon that you gave that day. And he's like, you know, that's nice of you to say, but I really don't care what you think. He didn't really care what he, he wanted to know what the man thought, right? He wanted to know what the president thought of his talk. So a couple of weeks later, he gets this letter in the mail from the White House. So he opens it up. You want to see what was in that letter from the president? here's what it said. Pastor Stanley, I want to thank you for your wonderful sermon the morning of my inauguration. It was a timely reminder of the standard of leadership set by our Lord and Savior. And while we will inevitably fall short, such selfless leadership is what we should all aspire to. All the best to your family and congregation, Barack Obama. And you know, Andy would tell you today that even though he's a Republican, that letter is one of his cherished possessions. Why is that? Because the greatness of the one giving honor makes the honor all the sweeter, doesn't it? The authority level of the person who gives honor makes the honor more significant in our hearts. And here's what I want to tell some of you today. And I want you to let this truth land on you. I want you to hang on to it because you've been done wrong, I know. I've read many of these little magnets that some of you put on the front of this stage. And some of you wrote on your magnets the ways that you've been wronged. Someday, hang on to this hope that someday... The greatest person in all the universe wants to honor you in front of all the universe. Can you imagine that? And so hang on and appropriately endure the ways that you've been wrong. You can forgive. You can forgive the person who cheated on you and made you feel less than. You can forgive the person who hurt or abused you after you put the right boundaries in place. You can forgive because someday he will honor you. And the information to transformation is made possible by the crucifixion. We see in the last verse there, uh, verse 12, uh, this is made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus. And you know, I'm clinging to grace I need grace because of a question I'm going to ask you. Have you ever wronged someone? This whole time we've been talking about how we've been wrong, but what about when you look at the other side of that coin? Have you ever wronged someone? And I hope this doesn't seem rude, but I'm going to answer the question for you. You have wronged someone. You have. I don't care how innocent you think you are or how you feel. Jesus says if you hated someone in your heart, you committed murder, he says. And some of us, man, I have thought some things about other people that would make Jesus want to drink gin out of the cat dish, man. I'm telling you, (laughs) it's like, it's murder (laughs) in my heart. I've done people wrong. So, what do I deserve? What do you deserve? Maybe you've done someone wrong in a big way, but some of you have done some, someone wrong. You think you're really better than what you really are, but you've done someone wrong in small ways, maybe a little passive-aggressive jab or whatever. But it's still doing someone wrong. And we deserve the judgment of the one who will come with flames and powerful angels. But if we will receive the cross, we can receive forgiveness and an eternity with the one that we don't deserve, you know? So I think one of the reasons why God may have brought someone here today is so that you could receive the grace that comes as a result of the cross. Because you've done people wrong. And I don't care what you've done. You can receive grace as a gift from God right now today. So with that in mind, how about we bow for prayer? And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would like to begin a relationship with God today through Jesus, just say something like this in your own heart between you and God. Say, God, look, I choose to believe that when Jesus died on that cross, he took the penalty for the ways I've done people wrong. He took the penalty for my sin. And so, God, I receive a love relationship with you today. Please change me, make me new as we continue in prayer with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. This service is so much more than just to help people get their ticket into heaven. But for some of us who have had our ticket into heaven a long time, it's time to be transformed. There's so much more to God that some of us are not experiencing. And for some of us today, it's to make a choice to change the way I think about how I've been wrong. And if you've been significantly done wrong and your heart is hurting today, I want you to just raise your hand. Nobody's looking but me. Just raise your hand real quick. Just raise your hand up real quick. It's okay. Raise your hand up real quick and keep them up for just a minute. I want to pray over you, Lord. By faith, they've raised their hands because of the ways they've been done wrong. And in Jesus' name, I pray that you heal each one. And I pray you get them over the hump because they've lived in the hurt and the pain of being done wrong for all these years. And I pray, Jesus, that you would drill down several layers into the depths of their souls to transform them, transform them, that they would not be bitter, but they would turn sweet as they've endured this wrong. God, you see your kids right now, and I pray that you, they would get a glimpse of identity and just how much you love them right now. And each hand is reaching out to you for more of you. Transform, transform, transform. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.